welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. How do you trust God when everything around you seems so crazy? How can you rest in the fact that God is good when the world can't even seem to agree on what good means? While there may not be an easy button for it, trusting and following God in unsettling times is not only possible, but powerful. As we take a closer look at the life of King Hezekiah in our current series, Trust Me, we'll see how discovering God's best path for our lives starts with surrendering it to Him. So let's dive in and continue the Upward Journey. Good morning, Upward. Could we just take a minute on Memorial Day weekend to celebrate and thank God for the men and women down through our history who have given their lives so that we can worship freely. We have a great privilege. We have a great privilege to worship freely this morning, and there are a lot of young Americans and folks from all around the world who left home and never came back who gave their lives so that we could worship freely here today, and we want to honor and celebrate them and just pray for their families. Uh, thank God that we have freedom. It comes at a price, and we're grateful this morning. want to welcome all of you here today. want to welcome our online audience today. We have between every weekend between three and 500 people that will join us online across three platforms. It's a great uh, part of our congregation. Welcome to the online campus. Can we give them a big hand? And glad to have you. If you're with us online today, if you're online watching, please let us know if you would drop in the chat there, maybe the city and state you're watching from or the country. We have, we have people from around the world that join us. So please let us know that you're there. So glad to have you. Uh, we're continuing our series today on Hezekiah and we're learning a lot from this Old Testament figure. Now, some people say, what in the world can I learn from the Old Testament? It just sounds old and outdated and ancient. Can I really learn anything the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans that the Old Testament was actually written for our example. The Old Testament was written so that we could look back on it and learn a couple things. First of all, there are people in your life that you can learn what not to do from them. Anybody have any friends like that? There are any people in your life you could say, wow, I have learned what not to do from that person. It's still learning. Hezekiah is a little different. He was this guy who really stood up in the middle of a crazy world, and for all his life, he influenced his generation towards God, and he actually influenced his nation probably 150 years after he was gone. His influence was still living in a powerful way. So from Hezekiah, we can learn about what to do. Anybody like those lessons? That you can watch somebody's life and learn about what to do. And one of the things we see in Hezekiah throughout his life was this, and it's a key to having a victorious life, and it's this, whenever he got in trouble, he prayed really quickly. He ran to God with his troubles. Where do you run when you get in trouble? My children, when they were growing up, anybody have kids or little kids that are a little rambunctious and run around and get hurt? When my children were growing up, when they fell down and get hurt, got hurt, they never ran to me. Because my response would be, you're not bleeding. Or, you're just bleeding a little bit. <laughs> they would fall down and say, mom, because mom would pick them up and just love them and care about them. And I was more like, oh, get over it, slap a Band-Aid on it, dip it in kerosene. 
and you'll be okay. Who do you run to when you're hurting? Hezekiah very quickly ran to God. And it's one of the keys to his life. We call this series, Trust Me, because Hezekiah trusted God. We're going to learn about prayer today. Hezekiah prayed when he got in trouble. Now, first of all, we're going to learn about prayer. What prayer is not? Because there are a whole lot of misconceptions out there when you mention the word prayer. First of all, I want you to see, prayer is not a magic formula to get whatever you want from God. Regardless of the series that you've seen offered by the latest person who wants to talk about prayer, I've actually seen, back in the old, old days, I remember a cassette, I'm telling you how old I really am, a cassette tape series that said, how to get anything you want from God. That is not what prayer is. It is not a magic formula to get your desires from God, to get anything you want from God. I hear people say this a lot. And I want you to be careful saying this. People say, we got to believe in the power of prayer. And I understand what people mean by that. And to a point, I agree with that. But I want you to understand, we believe in the power of God. He is the one with the power. He is the one that moves. And whenever we begin to believe in the power of our prayers over the power of God, something's out of whack there. I understand Prayer opens the way. Prayer creates an attitude and an atmosphere around you so that the power of God can move in your life. But prayer is not a magic formula that just allows you to tap into God's power to make anything you want to happen, happen. Second thing, prayer is not. Prayer is not an excuse to be passive. Prayer is not an excuse to sit back and do nothing and wait for the right things to happen. I don't know about all of y'all, but I know about me. Sometimes when I'm in the midst of the problem, I know the next thing that I ought to do. Many times in a problem or in a situation, there is a step of obedience that I know I need to take. Anybody with me this morning? You kind of know. And very often, I don't want to do it. Because the reason I still need to do it is because it's uncomfortable. And if you're like me, very often I'll say, well, I'm still praying about it. That's called prayer procrastination. <laughs> do not be a prayer procrastinator. Sometimes you'll ask people, hey, would you like to get involved in ministry? Well, I'll pray about it. That's what you said 20 years ago. Prayer procrastination. Prayer is not an excuse for being passive. When there's a step of obedience to be taken, don't just cover it with I'm praying about it. Act. Do what you know that you can do. Don't be a prayer procrastinator. You learned a new word today. Even if it's made up, you learned a new word. You're getting educated. Prayer is not a third thing. Prayer is not or should not be our last resort. Anybody have emergency brakes on your car? Three of us do. <laughs> Be careful out there, people, on the roads at Upward. When you're leaving the parking lot, only three people have emergency brakes. So, uh, How many of you, your emergency brake is right down here? You step on it with your foot right here. How many of you, it's right here in the, in the center here? Anybody remember when the old ones were right down here on the dashboard and you pulled it back there in the really old cars? 
Uh, yeah, all those people with gray hair remember those emergency brakes. Um, I had, uh, some years ago, I had a 1963 Ford Falcon Sprint, which was a beautiful red car, and I loved it. And I really looked good in it, by the way, going down the road. <laughs> I really looked good in that car. And I was driving it not far from here down Howard Gap Road between several apple orchards, and I had my two children in the car, and the brakes went completely out. I stepped on the brakes, and the pedal went all the way to the floor. That's a bad feeling. I had little kids in the car. I think my kids were probably like 10 and 8, something like that. Little bitty kids in the car. The car is 1963. There are no seat belts. And the dashboard of that car was designed to take your head off. <laughs> Anybody know those old cars that had this real sharp metal? That, who came up with that? But I'm hurtling down the road in this piece of metal with no brakes, and I got two kids in the car. It never occurred to me to use the emergency brake. I had one, and I didn't use it. I had always thought of that as something you engage when you're parked on a hill. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'll, I put it on when I'm parked on a hill. I thought of it as a parking brake. I never knew that you could actually use it in case of emergency. So I'm going down the road. I don't know what to do. The only thing I could figure, I came by an apple orchard that went slightly uphill. And I said, hold on, kiddos. And I spun and jumped into an apple orchard. Think Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> if I'd had a zero one on the side of that car and went, yeehaw, I would have been the Dukes of Hazard. And, uh, I ran it up in an apple orchard between two rows of trees, and it came to a stop. I called a buddy. I said, man, come tow me out of here. Bring a tow truck. Bring something. Get me out of here. He said, all you got to do is use the emergency brake. It never occurred to me you could actually drive the car and use that handbrake to slow the car down. I'm not as smart as you thought. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, and we listen to this guy every week. Prayer should not be the last resort when everything else have, has failed. Sometimes people will say this. Have you ever heard this? They say, how's the situation going? And somebody's answer will be, all we can do is pray. Now, I know what that means. And that's okay to pray in those situations. When they say, all we can do is pray, what they're saying is, We've exhausted every other human option. The doctors have no hope. The, the, the bank has no hope. No one has any hope. All we can do is pray because we need a miracle. I want to encourage you today to move prayer up on your priorities. To not get to the point where all you can do is pray. Because what you, we're going to learn today from Hezekiah it's not all we can do in, is pray. It's this. Sometimes all we have to do is pray. And if we would move prayer up on the priority a little higher and pray first before we seek all the other options, we would save ourselves a whole lot of wear and tear and we'd see God do miracles in our lives much more often. 
I believe we still serve a God of the miraculous. I believe that. I still believe in miracles. I still believe God moves by the power of His Holy Spirit. I still believe in signs and wonders that will follow those that believe in Jesus Christ. And I think what we've done many times is we've pushed prayer back to a last resort, an emergency break that we only pull in case of dire emergency. Move prayer up higher in your priorities. We're going to learn that today from Hezekiah. You see, here's what prayer is. Prayer is a key indicator of our trust in God. If you want to figure out how much you trust God, really trust God, how often do you pray and how quickly do you pray? How long does it take you to get down the list to prayer? Or do you go to God early and quickly. That's what we want to learn today from Hezekiah. Hezekiah trusted God, and we see it again and again in his prayer life. Now, this story in the book of 2 Kings chapter 19 is one of the most powerful answers to prayer recorded in all the scriptures. And it's, in fact, one of the most overlooked miracles, I think, in all of the Bible. Here's what it says. We're going to learn what prayer is and how it works. 2 Kings 19, verses 14 and 15, we'll start. It says this, After King Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. We talked about last week how he got a letter from the king of Syria, and it was a threatening letter that was was given to him that just demoralized and depressed everybody around him. Have you ever gotten news that just hit you like a punch in the gut? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe a phone call, and it was just a, a palpable thud to your spirit. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say a thud to your spirit? It's like, oh, that hurts. Ooh. And you just carry around that wound. That's what the letter that, that Hezekiah got from the king of Assyria had to have felt like. He said, I'm going to destroy you. If you remember the disgusting part of last week, he said, we're going to make you starve to the point you'll eat your own refuse and drink your own urine. That's pretty bad. It's depressing. What did Hezekiah do? It said he took it to the Lord's temple and he just spread it out before the Lord. He said, Lord, here's our situation. Lord, here's what they're saying. Lord, here are their threats. Verse 15, it said he prayed this prayer before the Lord. This is what he started his prayer with, and this is powerful. He said, O Lord, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. He went to the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was, and on top of the Ark of the Covenant, this sacred box was two golden cherubims with their wings spread out towards each other. And beneath those heavenly beings, God's presence rested. And Hezekiah said, God, you rest in this place. Lord, you are God. Then he said these words, you alone. Can everybody just repeat those words with me? You alone. Those are two powerful words when you're praying. Two powerful words that will take you right into the throne room of God. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. Then it comes again. You alone created the heavens and the earth. Hezekiah is in the midst of a polytheistic society, which means there was a buffet of gods for you to choose from. You got to pick your God and pray to your own God. And Hezekiah is saying something revolutionary to his world and to his culture. He's saying before God, Lord, 
you alone are really God. You're the one true God of the universe. You alone rest on the throne. You alone are eternal. You alone created the heavens and the earth. He begins his prayer this way. You see, prayer, first of all, is giving praise to God. Prayer is when you come to God and you tell Him who He is. That's good stuff. Say, what what sense is that? He knows who He is. If I come up to Wanda and say, You're Wanda! She'd be like, so? If you come up to me and say, You're Andy! But God is God. And when you go to Him and say, You alone are eternal. You praise Him. And something happens in you when you do that. You magnify God. You ever look through a magnifying glass? That's not a rhetorical question. It's a question that requires an answer. Can we just do something at Upward? We go through this dance every week. When I ask a question, I want you to answer. Because I'll stop and, and get you to, and then it takes you longer to get to lunch. So let's make a deal. You answer, we'll get to lunch faster. You ever look through a magnifying glass? Yes. Hungry people here. <laughs> Hungry people. <laughs> When you look through a magnifying glass, things get bigger. When you magnify the Lord, your perspective of Him gets a lot bigger. You don't actually make Him any bigger, because He's bigger than we can imagine anyway. But what starts to happen in our lives when we get letters like this, and we get those emotional thuds to our spirit, our problems start looking bigger And our problems are magnified rather than God. You see, what complaining does is it puts the magnifying glass on your problems. But when you begin to praise, it puts the magnifying glass on God, and God gets bigger and your problems get smaller. Let me tell you tonight, tonight, today, I don't know what time it is. Um, I don't even know our service times. I just know when the music stops, I come out and preach again. That's all. That's it. I don't know what time it is. All that foolishness, I forgot what I was saying. Uh, You want to know how big God really is? The Bible tells us, the prophet said this, he said, God measures the universe in the span of his hand. We're in a big universe. It's getting bigger every second. The universe grows by 180,000 miles every second. Boom, big. But God looks at it and said, oh, about that big. You know what I've learned? My problems fit very neatly in this space. You're in the middle of something right now, aren't you? You got some trouble. Some of you got some phone calls this week that just put you on your heels or maybe flat on your back. Some of you got some news that's tough right now. Some of you have some ongoing problems in your life that you're just sick of dealing with. It fits in very neatly. This is how God sees. This is how big He is. You see, when you praise Him, you begin to realize how big He is and how small your problems really are compared to Him. That's why Jesus, when the disciples said, Lord, you know, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to do miracles. 
Did they really? They didn't. The disciples did not say, Lord, teach us to walk on water. And a couple of them were fishermen. They should have asked for that. No, they said the one thing, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And he said, here's how you pray. Here's how you start. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom started with praise. Because when you praise, you magnify the Lord. And your problems can't help but shrink. Prayer, first of all, is giving praise to God. Secondly, I want you to see this. Prayer is giving your problems to God. Prayer is just coming to God after you praise Him and then saying, Lord, we want to hold... He said He spread them out before God. Just spreading your problems out to the Lord. Some people think, well, God doesn't want to be bothered by my problem. God's not bothered by anything. I don't want to tell God my problem. Well, He already knew. He wants you to get in a position of dependence on Him so He can pour out His power in your life. And when you pour your problems out to Him, you're honoring Him by trusting Him with this. Hezekiah spread out his problems. Verses 16 through 18, he said, Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words of defiance against the living God. He said, It is true that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations. God, what he's saying is true. The threats he's making, he's done it before, and he will do it again. He's being very honest with his problems before God. He's not minimizing them. He's saying, God, I praise you. You're the eternal God, but here is what I'm dealing with down here. Now, let me just tell you something. Hezekiah had a big problem. The kingdom of Assyria was one of seven major empires, that dynasties that ruled the world in the time of Christ. Anybody love history here? I'm going to give you a little framework of history here. From about 1,500 years before Jesus to about 500 years after Jesus, there were seven major ancient empires. First of all were the Egyptians, followed by the Hittites, followed by the Assyrians, who we're talking about here today, who dealt with Hezekiah. They were followed later. In Hezekiah, after Hezekiah's life, they were followed by the Babylonians. They were followed by the Medo-Persians. They were followed by the Greeks. Anybody worn out yet? I've only got one more. They were followed by the Romans. That's 1,500 years before Christ till about 500 years after Christ. Seven major dynasties dominated the world. The Assyrians were one of those, and they were powerful. They were the most feared army on earth, and they were also the largest army on earth, estimated to be a quarter of a million men. And they were very severe. They would come in and do what the, uh, the Germans during World War II would call Blitzkrieg, which means they basically came in and decimated a city in order to inspire fear in the region around them. Basically, they would destroy one city so that the rest of the region would just surrender and give up and say, if you won't destroy us, you can occupy us. My goodness, that's what the devil does. He tries to bring destruction to your life so you'll just surrender and give up. He tries to paralyze you with fear. And that's what Sennacherib and his army of Assyria tried to do. What they would do is they would set up around a city and they would set up about 250 yards outside a city and surround the city. You say, why 250 yards? Well, there were archers on the wall that could defend the city. And ancient archery was pretty bad. Anybody like stuff that's pretty bad? I mean, good, bad. 
You ever look at weapons and say, that's bad to the bones. Cool stuff. Ancient archers were tough. They had arrows that would pierce armor. And these arrows were often effective up until about 250 yards. Cool stuff. And the Assyrians and other armies knew this, so they would set up just out of arrow's reach and surround the city. And they would begin putting up their tents. And they couldn't move that many men quickly. To move a quarter of a million people takes a long time. So what they do is just start setting up tents. Now, if you're in Jerusalem, you just start looking out every day, and there's a hundred more tents every day. Until at a certain point, you look out, and it's estimated that by the time he laid siege to the city, there were about 185,000 tents around Jerusalem. Can you imagine the intimidation factor of that? Hezekiah had a big problem. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to pile problem after problem after problem after problem on you to where you say, hey, I'm looking at 185,000 tents right now. There is no way there's a problem to this. That's what the, there's no way there's a solution to this problem. That's what the enemy wants to do in your life. He had a real problem. They were outnumbered. Quarter million on Sennacherib's side. Hezekiah had about 10,000 men to defend Jerusalem at this point. Imagine the feeling. The great Assyrian capital that dominated... Anybody know what the capital of Assyria was at the time? Not many people. I'm going to give you a hint. You ready? It was a city. It's a biblical city where the bunch of evil people repented. I'm going to help you out a little more. It's an evil city where a bunch of evil people repented when a prophet came who was swallowed by a fish. Nineveh. I heard some of you saying the right answer. I just wanted to finish all that, okay? So, uh, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria that Sennacherib came from. This may give you a better understanding of the book of Jonah and Jonah's reluctance to go to the Assyrians because they destroyed people over and over again. Their king was named Sennacherib. I love that name. I'm going to open a Christian barbecue food truck, and one of the items is going to be a Sennacherib's. Anybody like that? How many would order the snacker ribs? I can promise you, you're not going to forget that king's name from now on. I'll have the snacker ribs. Uh, old snacker ribs was a pretty tough king. In fact, he had already decimated 46 cities before he came to Jerusalem. His record in the ring was 46 and 0 with 46 knockouts. What did Hezekiah do? He prayed. He presented his problem to God, and he said, God, it's true what they say and what they're trying to do. So prayer is bringing your praise to God. Prayer is bringing your problems to God. Then verse 19 says this, Now, O Lord our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Do you hear those two words again? You alone is back in there. You see, the third thing prayer is, Prayer is aligning ourselves with the purposes of God. And that's one of the most powerful things that I will tell you about prayer today. Prayer is not about you taking your agenda to God. Prayer is about you being aligned with God's agenda that's already in place. Do you hear that this morning? Prayer is not, again, a magic formula where you come up with something and just come to God and say, God, I want you to do this. 
If God did everything I wanted him to do, there'd be some dead people. If God did everything I wanted him to do, I'd be in big trouble. You ever look back on your life and thank God for the prayers he didn't answer? Oh, if you live long enough, you will one day. You say, thank you, God, for not giving me that. You saved me. Prayer is not getting what you want from God. Prayer is you getting aligned with God's purposes. Prayer is actually the most powerful form of prayer is finding out what God's doing, getting in the middle of that and praying with God to do what He's already determined to do. See, the more I pray, people say all the time, well, you pray, God gives you what you want. I'll tell you, what God really does when you pray is He changes you to want what He wants. You didn't seem as excited about that as I want you to. As I pray, I become more like Jesus, and I pray the prayers of Jesus. J.D. Greer put it this way. He said, the prayers that are heard most from heaven are the prayers that start in heaven. The most powerful prayers you can pray is praying in the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? We're unashamedly Pentecostal. We believe in the Holy Spirit here at Upward Christian Fellowship. If you're uncomfortable with that, good. Because we're uncomfortable with it sometimes too. Because the Holy Spirit will make you uncomfortable. He'll pull you out of your boundaries and stretch you beyond. That's where the miracles are. Amen, church. Paul said, I'll pray in the Spirit. When you pray in the Spirit, you're getting prayer from heaven and you're turning it right back to God and you're praying in the perfect will of God in one of those powerful ways to pray. To align yourself with the purposes of God. There's some prayers God's going to answer. God just got, you're just so aligned with His purposes. One of the challenges I want you to get today, and one of your action steps leaving here today, the main one is this, is to develop a prayer list. That is to actually write down the things you're praying for and keep a list of prayers that you pray and pray them regularly. There's some names I call in prayer every day. Some of you in this auditorium today, I see some of you. Some of you, your name is on my lips every day to God. I put down a list of my family I pray for. Special friends that God puts on my heart, I have a list. My enemies are on my prayer list because Jesus said they're supposed to be. But I have a special part of my list. I pray for people who need healing because I believe God still heals sick people. I have a list of six people that I'm asking God to save. I want them to come to know Jesus, and I pray for them every day. And I've got to be honest with you, I'm getting impatient with this list because it's been about two years since I've crossed a name off of it. I'm like, God, two years is too long. Amen. At least one of these people needs to get saved soon. And so I'm believing God, 2021, I'm going to see at least one, hopefully two of these people. Get, oh, I'd like to see all six. Not long ago, I found out that one of the people on my list was sick. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Not that I'm happy they're sick. Don't misread that. But I'm like, oh, yeah, here comes an answer to prayer. Because, you see, I know God wants to save that person. I have no doubt that's God's purpose. And I know God wants to heal sick people. So I'm like, this is a home run. Like, God, heal this person. And he did. 
I even have a sign back here that says, praise now, praise now, <laughs> praise now. That's your time to praise. God did it. When you pray according to the purposes of God, there was a huge purpose of God at stake in this situation. If Jerusalem was overthrown, there's no Israel. If Jerusalem and Judah fell, there's no Israel, there's no Messiah. It was so important for Israel to stand. Still is, by the way. God put the nation of Israel in a crazy spot geographically. You ever thought about this? Why did he choose this nation and put them in that particular spot? You know why? That nation is the hinge point of three continents. If you want to go from, by land anyway, from Asia to Africa, guess where you're going. If you want to go to, from Europe to Africa, you've got, I'm trying to turn my map around backwards, you've got Europe, Asia, Africa, Israel. You think it's any mistake geographically? God poured out His Holy Spirit and sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to a city right in the center of everything where the gospel could go out all over the world. But oh, when God puts you in a spot with a mission, you're going to have some problems. But you've got a mighty God. There was a purpose in all this. Hezekiah was serving a purpose to preserve the seed, to preserve the nation. And God answered in a big way. You want to know how big God answered? You remember what I told you earlier? Sometimes we say all we can do is pray. Hezekiah found out sometimes all you have to do is pray. It says this, the verse up on the wall, so I'm just going to read it. That night, when did it say? That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. God defeated the enemy while, they were, while Israel was asleep. How many of you would like to say, I'd love to see more of my prayers answered when I'm sleeping. How many of you would like to say, I just want to see God answer some prayers without me having to do anything but pray? Can anybody say that? You know what I believe God wants to do? If we'll move prayer up to a higher priority in our life, we'll see Him do more miraculous things without us having to get involved except through prayer. I believe that. They woke up the next morning. The Assyrian army woke up. And there were corpses all around them. People say, what's the theology of that? Here's what I believe. That a person can cross a point. I believe the enemy is the destroyer. I believe the enemy is the killer. But I believe people get to a certain point when God's hand of protection lifts off of them and the enemy comes in and does. I don't believe God himself kills people. I believe his protection was removed from these 185,000 people. And the enemy, can, we all have an enemy that if God let us alone and, and abandon us, the enemy would kill us. But 185,000 of them came up against God's people and they suffered judgment. You know what the Bible said? Old snack of ribs i got to quit saying that because I'm trying to be serious here. Uh, he went back to Nineveh. It's time that we send some devils. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about real demons. It's time we send some demons back to where they came from. It's time God's people pray and turn back the enemy from our community, from our nation. I believe there's an awakening coming in our world today. I believe Christians are waking up saying... We're going to pray. We're not going to sit back. We're not going to be quiet and let the enemy overrun our communities. 
Evan Roberts was in Wales many, many years ago. A man named Evan Roberts was in Wales, and he prayed, and he sought God. And God sent a revival to Wales that shut down bars. That shut down the business the police had to do. I told our sheriff not long ago, our job is to make your job easier. And God shaped Wales. You know the sad thing today, I met with a missionary to Wales just Monday night. And he said, I'm working in Wales today. He said, many of the old churches in Wales are now becoming bars. He said, but we're not going to stand by and let that happen. He said, we have taken over an old church. And God is moving and saving people again in that building. And we're believing that that's going to spread all over Wales again. God wants to do that again in the United States of America. But let me tell you, we cannot, I'm going over too bad here's what's got to change there's a certain brand of Christianity today and this goes back to the purpose thing there's a certain brand of Christianity that says prayer in Jesus is all about giving me a better more comfortable life try to tell that to the 12 apostles Jesus did not come to give us a comfortable life he came to give us life itself And he put us on this earth. Hezekiah said this. He said, the reason I'm praying this is because the nations of the world need to know that you alone are God. Jesus has not called us to this pampered, protective lifestyle that we can just huddle in here and talk about how bad the world is. He's called us to risk something, to step out of these walls and to take our city for Jesus Christ and to transform our community. That's our word at Upward. We're building his church by transforming our community. Amen. And we're going to see that done in Jesus' name. But we've got to pray according to his purposes. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for people that love you and serve you. Thank you for people that are willing to lay their lives down in your service. And I ask you today in your mighty name, may we be people who prioritize prayer like never before. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus or you're watching online, you can say yes to him right now. You can say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. And I surrender my life, my sin, everything that I am, I surrender to you today, Jesus. Come into my heart and live through me. You pray that prayer, he'll do that. If you're saying yes to Jesus today online, there's a button you can click there on your screen. If you're here today and you're saying yes to Jesus, come tell us about it. Either a deacon in your section or a staff member, we're all around. Please tell us you're saying yes to Jesus. We're so thankful that you are. Amen. Amen. Hasn't it been a great day here today? Have you had a good time here today? Have you been drawn closer to Jesus? Are you moving prayer up on your priority list? Amen, amen. I see my good friend Chuck and Libby Waldrop out there, and I love those two so much. They have been spiritual leaders in our region for a long, long time. Chuck, Libby, Upward honors you this morning for your contribution to our region. Powerful spiritual leaders. Can we give them a hand and welcome them here today? Love them so much. Love you guys. Hey, next Sunday, there are going to be 150 more chairs in this room. Aren't you excited? Oh, 
You're going to get to see some people. We're going from three services to two. You're going to get to see some people you haven't seen in a year. Hallelujah. All going to be in here. There going to be more hugs than ever before. Somebody like, oh, my Lord. All right. We're excited about that. Great, exciting. Starting in two weeks, our deacons are going to be all around to pray with you in person again. So we're so excited about that. And uh, it's going to be a good time. I'm ready. You're ready to be blessed this morning. Let me bless you out of here. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. May the Lord give you peace. With that blessing, I commission you in the power of the Holy Spirit go out of this place and take Jesus everywhere you go. Make Him known. Amen. Love y'all. Be blessed. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash upwardchristianfellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.